1: Welcome back to the French Rookie Podcast with me, Tim Groves, ex-Scotland International and adopted Frenchman, Johnny Beattie, and reigning top 14 champion, England International, Henry Thomas is joining us shortly as well for a chat about swapping the premiership for the top 14 and striking gold straight away. First though, I know it's been another mad week, Johnny, it's that time of year for both of us, but I've got to pull us both up, I suppose, on something after we were... Full of excuses last week. We said we're going to plan around the podcast, et cetera, et cetera. It's Friday, right? When this is coming out. What time to call this.
0: I blame the guests, mate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, mate, it's been bananas. It's always the same at this time. But like Friday, I was doing the 20s, France, Scotland, uh, which was a bit one sided. Saturday was Canal Plus and via play for top 14 games. Sunday was Stade de France. Day job Monday. I basically didn't sleep all weekend. So only just catching up now. Uh, so yeah, apologies again It's coming out on a Friday Which is embarrassing uh, But yeah, it's nothing to do with you or I. I I blame Henry So it's all his fault You you can you can tell him that when he comes on <laughs> in a second It's just nice to hear someone that's busier than me, Johnny So you've uh, all over the place <laughs> All over the place, mate It's great fun uh, But it's a hectic time of year You're not happy with me My wife's not happy with me My kids don't know what I look <laughs> like It's all the same But it, it is what it is I am the least of your worries out of that trio you're right, you are. <laughs> well, you were in Paris,
1: so we should have a little chat about it. We won't dwell on it too much because it's a, a good few days afterwards. But you were pitch side and up in commentary at the Stade yeah. de France. So give us give us an overview of the
0: atmosphere, the kind of ebbs and flows, especially, obviously, the, the two red cards. Um, the spectacle was right up there. I'm not sure what it was like watching... From home, but it was quite dramatic in the stadium and that everyone was really getting into it. People looking each other around, like us sitting on the comms deck thinking, what is going on here? It was absolute mayhem, and it was. It was a psychological roller coaster for everyone. Grant Gilchrist hit his red card. And essentially everyone thinks that's the game over because that's what mm. we've seen. If anyone cops a red card after five minutes, and as a player yourself, you know, if you're on the field, you're like, Oh shit, like that's the game gone, boys. Like, what are we gonna do now? You obviously stick it in, you dig it out, you're super brave and you try but you know statistically the chance of you winning it is gone and everyone in the crowd knows that as well so for then five minutes later for Mohamed Hwas to cop his red as well and for completely different reasons, I mean everyone was almost in disbelief for the unnecessary nature for it, like with Gilco you can understand because it's a kick chase, you're coming from 30 metres Anthony Jelanch has got a 50 metre run up, you're trying to have a big collision and stop him dead, I get it but that one's missed time. But for Hamad Hwas, if you're a player, you're thinking, mate, if we just keep 15 people on the field, this game should be a cakewalk. That's what every one of his teammates is thinking. So a brain fart, essentially, from something that didn't need to happen. And he, and he gets his walking orders. Um, so that whole element was absolutely crazy. Um Finchucks an intercept before halftime, you think Tom Ramos goes over and you thought, well, this game's gone, but it wasn't. And so like, given the context and the sort of mayhem, I was sort of surprised by the lack of calmness from the French side and how they couldn't control the game for long periods. There may be like 15, 17 minutes of that game where they really fired and they overpowered Scotland and they looked really good, but for the rest, they look kind of normal to, to average in bits, which has been the sort of worrying element of the first two games. Some of that was awful kicking, their exits were desperate, and some of it fundamentally was was great attack from Scotland. But generally, there was still a lot to love. The ambition to play, to adapt, to problem solve, given the context, um, was really enjoyable to watch. There was also a bit more space on the field because both sides were down to 14, so there was a bit more space to attack. And the ball was thrown everywhere. That was one thing. Although it was more stop-start in that there were lineouts and scrums that we maybe didn't have in the Irish game, there was still a lot of play, of passing, of, of multi-phase and stuff to enjoy. I loved watching Finn Russell come back into the game as well after, we would say, an average first half for him and in that intercept, which people will pick up on, but... For all young players out there watching, a guy that stuck to his task, kept trying, kept pushing the ball to space, kept creating space for Hugh Jones, who in the end could have been man of the match. It was Gail Fiku that got the award at the end. But um, that was it. It was really enjoyable to watch. A strange context, so really dramatic, but um, an enthralling game for different reasons, shall we say. Is that Mohamed House's France career over, do you think or not? Oof. So he's the first, Fr- this is quite a strange stat, he's the first Frenchman to get two red cards, which I was like, there must have been a Frenchman before him to picked up two. But bless him, he's the first one to to pick up that bill. Is it the end of his career? I don't know. In that tight head isn't exactly, there's not people pegged on and nailed on. We've seen Dorian Aldegheri. He'll probably come back in next week and that Momo Huas was brought in ahead of Falateo because he can start and play 80 minutes and he's a sort of assured thing international level. I don't know is the, is the honest answer And that he's now obviously ripping up his contract. He's moving to Claremont to rebuild his club career. The first red that he picked up with Jamie Ritchie, he was provoked and he's clocked something in the face. This one is almost more clumsy. There was not even any provocation. It was just total clumsiness. I'm not sure if he will be forgiven. Um, will he be earmarked as a liability in that you've done this now twice, this could cost us a World Cup, therefore we can't have you in? I don't know, but in order for him to get back and get back involved in the squad, it won't be as cheaply certainly as it was this time. He'll have to be better, he'll have to be consistent, he'll have to perform towards the end of this season, because he doesn't have much game time now, like he's going to be banned four games and then he's got the end of a season with Montpellier where he isn't figuring, so um, it's a big old test for him put it that way.
1: And we'll chat more about the tournaments, the whole look ahead to the France-England game next week obviously, but a massive blow for Anthony Jellon reportedly oh, has a mate. fight on his hands to be fit for the World Cup, even with his knee ligament injury. A horrible for him personally, and obviously a lot of sadness around. But in terms of the France back row, what does it mean for that unit? Do you think?
0: The bit that really still gets me is I thought the French doctor did an amazing job. He essentially came in and stopped the game to ensure Anthony could get the HIA process, but I'm not sure if we almost need to go further. Like as somebody that's been concussed on a rugby field, when you're the individual, you're trying everything you can to get back on the field, to pass your tests, to play well, to ensure that your legacy is good, to ensure that your club or your country wins the game and to play your part. That That is what you want to do, right? But I don't think that injury happens to Anthony if he isn't concussed, if he isn't right. So he's gone off the field and what I would like to see is even if he's passed the HIA requirements is that you just remove, you just remove him from it. You just remove that element of chance, but people might disagree with me, but, and again, it's purely anecdotal from my experience, but after a head knock, which you can still pass an HIA, you can be foggy. You're not right. It's almost like things aren't connected. Your your head and your mind are not connected to different parts of your body and physically you're not quite hundred percent yourself. So whether that's in timing, in confidence, like the combination and the culmination of what we've seen is him again sticking his body on the line because that's the bloke he is. That's the boy he is. He's phenomenal to watch. But when you run into a 110 kg winger at 100 miles an hour and try and dominate a collision and you're not quite yourself, you hurt yourself. And that's the disappointing bit is that I don't think that type of injury happens if your timing's right and you're on it and your technique's proper. Um, and there's no problem with this technique. So I think it's an issue with a head knock. And I'm gutted for him because he's an absolutely lovely bloke. And I'm almost thinking, like, does the rule change need to be even further or severe, as it were, to protect him in that situation? Because the upshot is he now misses six months at a minimum and makes it really hard to make the World Cup. So desperately disappointed for him. He is an amazing boy, and he's been probably one of the best elements of the French side over the past two years. And the knock on what does that mean for... The French side, you've got Cameron Walkie coming back to fitness. You've got Cross, who's just come back in. There's strength and depth in that area. But probably the most consistent man in that unit alongside Greg aldridge has been Anthony Gellange. So... Disappointment for him, disappointment for France, hugely disappointing for Toulouse as well. And yeah, just really sad for him because he's a mate and a great bloke and hoping him a speedy recovery.
1: Yeah, not many people have made that point about the HIA process. And obviously there's a lot of talk about it generally at the moment. So at the very least, they could look at that incident as a part of the whole process in terms of what they are going to do moving forward.
0: Well, mate, weirdly as well. So it was his dad came out in national press. His dad came out and said, look, I just don't understand... He obviously thinks, but like we're talking about high performance context and elite level sport. He's like, that's my boy. Mm. Like, my boy's just wrecked his cruciate. He's about to lose his dream. You've also got a 6 2 split on the bench. Like, McAlew didn't even get used, he didn't get off the bench. But why not just remove the risk? I know you're aiming for a championship. I know you want to win the game. I get it. But if we're protecting our players, if there's an HIA, is there another layer to be added? And if we've seen you, Pick up a concussion properly, or we see you've been knocked out or slightly concussed. We just remove you, and that's just that's it. That the pressure on the player is gone. It's the doctor and the medical team, and there have been people that push back on that as well because we have seen independent doctors remove people because they've had a funny hit with a hip or like not concussed at all. But it doesn't matter. Like we're trying to protect our players, remove it from the game, the concussion level, and consequently the big dangerous, cruciate injury we've seen at the weekend. So maybe it needs re, re- looked at.
1: Right, that's enough of us chatting about the game, Johnny. We'll chat more next week ahead of the England match. We should get our guest on. Should we bring him in?
0: Better late than never. He's kept us waiting all week. We we should get him in. (laughs)
1: Let's get him on. It should be a good one, this. We're about to have a chat with a man who's a season and a half into his journey in the top 14 now. Already has a league title to his name after spending over a decade trying to win silverware in the Premiership. So I'm guessing he's going to be pretty happy with the start he's made. to his career in France. His former Bath and England prop, now Montpellier man, Henry Thomas.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass?
1: Henry Thomas, or reigning top fourteen champion Henry Thomas, we should say to give you your full title. How's life in France? Because from the outside, looks like it's gone pretty well.
2: Yeah, I think it's the first time I've ever been introduced like that. So thank you. Uh,
0: <laughs> it should be standard. You should make that standard. <laughs> it should no be standard. That.
2: You're right. Yeah, I mean the way the way we've been going, it's probably uh, it's you know it's nice to have a little confidence boost. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's going. I'm going right. I'm enjoying it in uh, in, in the south of France. I think the uh, the weather here is a lot better than back home. So it makes the uh, those winter sessions a little bit less tough.
0: And have you had a chance to reflect yet? I know it's only a year and a half into the journey, but Premiership, club list towards the end, Montpellier champion straight away. Like, tell us a little bit about the ride getting there in the first place and how enjoyable it's been the past couple of seasons.
2: Yeah. So I think um,
0: I had a great time at Bath. It was a real mix with a lot of bad injuries, um,
2: also kind of backed up injuries. So, uh I come back in and almost be out straight away for a long period of time and over COVID and I really didn't, wasn't sure what I was going to do next and I, I knew I fancied um a new challenge but you know when you hadn't played a lot I hadn't played a lot rugby consistently over the years there were people kind of understandably uh unsure um I've been an opportunity to give up in Montpellier which is always somewhere where I wanted to play you know, I came here in, uh, I think it was 2012 with Sale and then 2015 with Bath and just thought how amazing this place was. And, you know, I just kind of grabbed the opportunity. And Olivier Azam, who was here then, uh, is someone who I played uh, against for my first couple of seasons when he was at Gloucester and I was at Sale, you know, on the opposite ends of our uh, careers. So I kind of knew him already and uh, he kind of understood English probably better than, you know, a lot of guys out in France and it was a bit of a kind of shot into the unknown really and i knew at that point already that that zach was going to be here and i was just excited to be somewhere new and be able to have a fresh start and fresh perspectives and yeah now it kind of started from there really i think they'd had a disappointing season the season before but ended on a high with the challenge cup win and it just kind of seemed set up for a, a, a brilliant year you know it wasn't all uh you know sunshine and roses throughout the season there's some there were some tough points but there were some really experienced guys in the mix you know like game Garado and um Fufu Gadrajo. I definitely haven't pronounced his surname right. Um, <laughs> Fufu. I, I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah the kind of I feel like the stars really aligned and it was a fantastic year. It was a tough year first year in the top 14 with you know those 26 regular season games, plus Europe and all different challenges of being a new league, playing against players who I I, I knew nothing about. And yeah, each week was, that was his own challenge. I loved it.
1: And Johnny mentioned that before you moved to Montpellier, maybe four or five games before the end of that season, you hadn't signed a deal. So you didn't know where you were going to be playing. Am I right in thinking you came quite close to joining La Rochelle as well? You could have been European
2: champion. <laughs> there, was, there was slightly before then, um there was a medical joker um up for grabs at La Rochelle, and that kind of got into advanced talks, and then uh Bath ended up pulling pulling the plug on it, saying, actually, no, we need you for the rest of the season. And to be fair, with that point I was playing every week, which I kinda I understood I, I didn't really I felt uneasy leaving Bath after being there for seven years, you know, just there one week on the next but I knew it would have been a great opportunity um so unfortunately it didn't didn't come to pass in the end but yeah I, I that and that stage of the season I was you know it's quite stressful um but I had a few decent offers from from the leader, but I decided that I really wasn't quite ready for that yet and I sat down with my agent and just said look I'm happy to just ride this out and if that means waiting a few months without a club and you know training myself, then being a tight end prop, something will come up, and then about three days later, the the opportunity came up in Montpellier. So
0: I love it as well. Backing yourself, it's very different when you're a useless number eight and nobody wants you. You can say you can back yourself when you're a decent tight end. Something's always going to come up. Oh, uh, that's one of the only beauties of being a tight end, right? Not no one wants to do it. <laughs> But everyone wants to pick up that paycheck. You're right. You've done really well. Mate, the life and career of a professional sportsman is a fragile one. It can be very different for very positions, as we just established. But do you have a different sense of perspective now after taking that gamble, waiting and getting the payoff, getting the move to a beautiful part of the world, playing top-level rugby and now being a top-14 champion? Like It's
2: incredible. I mean, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a dream from where I was, you know, almost clubless, in the top 14, I remember on the um, all those days after the final, they kind of blend in as you can imagine, there's a bit of a blur. But we on, I think it was on the Saturday after the final, on the final, on the Friday, we were back at the stadium. They they'd you know erected a big uh stage next to the stadium, and uh, I just had to take myself away for, for for a little period and just have a reflect on how happy I was, you know, winning that first kind of real major trophy, especially at kind of club level, and how not many. Really, guys get the opportunity to, to do that.
0: And, um, you know, it was a bit of a, a roller coaster time. I can imagine that spot as well the hangover, the fear, <laughs> the emotion catching up, having to go away for a little cry after becoming a top 14 champion. I love it. A man that I wanted to pick you up on as well in that vein. And we saw the celebrations, we saw Fufu, we saw Enzo Forletta. Can you just talk us through the days that unfolded? Like we spoke to Zach Mercer at the end of last season, but I still look back now some of the stuff floating around social media, your loose head prop, a man you probably know very well, Enzo Forletta, his celebrations, like what did it all look like? Because it looked sensational, but very tiring. Well, you know, Zach
2: snuck off pretty quickly after the final and, uh, and missed the celebrations for his uh, for his golf stag do in Marbella. So I, I actually think he was, I mean, obviously he had a brilliant time. I'm sure he was a bit gutted to miss out because <laughs> it was... It's not really a scene, but it was absolutely carnage. You know, it was it was nonstop, and you know, Enzo is a bit of a cult leader of the uh, you know Tausian Miton, uh, as they call it. And funnily enough, we're playing we playing away in uh, Stade Français the weekend, and you know, some of the Stade Français supporters chanting chanting his name, trying to get him to down a beer, warming up behind the post. <laughs> um, so he, yeah, I mean, it was just it was hard to explain it it was just non-stop relentless the uh, i probably didn't understand the uh importance and the significance that the Brennus, it really is in um in france and how special it is and how trashed it gets in the four days of celebrating afterwards uh, and you know i see myself as a the fairly good drinker but some of the the french lads they had that that, that longevity you know, after day three, I think I crashed out about two in the morning. I, I had to go back. It was my missus' birthday the next day. I had to go to wrap some presents or something uh, before we got on it again the next day. But uh, those guys went all night again, and um, he was he was the leader of that, wagon, that, that 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 band. And also, we didn't know if we we're going to win when we we're going to finish. So they said, "Look, whatever happens, the Tuesday is our last day." kind of together. You know, we've got a big function with all the families on Tuesday. After that, you know, you guys go and if foreigners, you guys can book your flights and that's when your time off will start. And after after we won on the Monday, we, you know everyone got the message through being like, look, the, the president's gonna pay for everyone to go to uh Barcelona for three days, all expenses paid, which is absolutely gutted So by 25 all the French <laughs> guys, the, you know, load of the staff all went there, five the star hotel, you know, had a all expenses paid trip to Barcelona on top of the, the week of celebration just gone. Um, but we'd already booked flights to, uh, you know, I think we had to fly back for Zach's wedding, actually. But yeah, Enzo, Enzo is, uh, yeah. I mean, I think he, because he wasn't playing because he was injured, he, he played so much that season, but I felt he, he, he was a bit gutted. He was known better for his performance in the, uh, in the third half than he was uh, for his performance on the pitch.
1: You mentioned the Brennus. i oh, there's loads of chat about what happens with the Brennus during the celebrations. What was the most interesting thing that you
2: guys did with it? because i I don't know I don't know the history of how it how it works really. I know in the past there's been someone was surfing with it yeah. the year before. I think um it was definitely being used as a, uh, a bodyboard through the changing rooms of the stade de France uh, Everyone's wearing snorkel glasses and it was in the it was in the hot tub and then. It was carried with us everywhere we went. I think after on the, on the Sunday, we had a beach party booked up, and through Saturday night, the French guys kept drinking all night and then they ended up walking to this beach beach club. Well, you guys kind of know Montpellier. So from the stadium to the beach club is uh, by foot is a decent decent way. And I think they kind of bar crawled themselves to the beach club about got there about six in the morning and, and they all, all fell asleep on the sand with the uh, Brennus around them and the streets of Paris on the Friday night. The, the nightclub you know, shut about half of six in the morning. There was a morning traffic and cars, lorries, buses weren't going anywhere because everyone's jumping up and down on the Brennets in the middle of the road. Um, fans, players, coaches, you know, it was... Oh, I, that is a time I'll never forget. You know, I could keep reminiscing about it, but it was brilliant.
1: And Johnny mentioned perspective. To add a little bit more perspective to your journey, I don't know how much you want to go into it, but I think it's fair to say you're time at Bath you didn't want to leave them in the lurch but it didn't end kind of perfectly and then as well when you arrived in Montpellier didn't you tear your hamstring pretty much on the first day of training so to go from there
2: to winning the top 14 yeah um I didn't make the first I didn't make the greatest first impression for sure I think that my last season at Bath I really not go into too much detail they, they cut my contract and put me on a more of a pay-to-play basis because of a couple of years I'd had and I'd played 20 games that season and but I really battled through my body and I arrived I felt I felt okay and I think I did a 15-hour drive down from down from Bath down to uh Montpellier with my dad and next day I was in training but I was isolated training because of the whole COVID protocols and stuff and it was me and Paul uh Paul Elmsy because he'd just come back from uh Namibia you know I was very keen the first day body felt good and I think I just overdid it a little bit. I had a little pop in my hamstring. But it wasn't, I'm not sure we know this feeling. As a tight forward, I'm not used to any sort of soft tissue injury. So I was a bit like, uh, maybe, you know, I haven't done that much training in the last few weeks. I've run a bit, but it's probably just a bit of, you know, a bit of doms. I get over this and did the rest of the training of the week and thought it hurts a bit, but I can't turn up to a club and get injured on the first day. I rejoined the squad on the Monday. We did a Bronco test. I did that and battled my way through that. And I'm for a tight end, I'm, I'm quite, quite a thick guy. So I did okay. And I was kind of happy with it. We started team training. I did one, one step sideways and it completely popped. And I'm not sure I'd fully signed. I'd agreed terms, but I'm not sure I'd fully signed the contract (laughs) yet either. So I was absolutely.
1: You were like, (laughs) deliver the contract now.
2: I was like, they're going to get rid of me, and I'm absolutely done. So I was in denial for a bit. Um, The scans came through, and I ended up missing about twelve weeks. And you know, Philippe was saying, you know, you've arrived broken, and um, you haven't been truthful, and all this stuff, and. I wasn't sure how long my, my, my journey Montpellier was going to be at one point, but um, I got fit by about the fifth game, my fifth game of the season, and then kind of went on the journey from there, really.
1: You mentioned what Philippe was saying there. Regardless of all that, it must be really difficult when that happens just when you have arrived to kind of settle in, because you want to be kind of acclimatising to the the rugby, the way the team plays, but also your teammates, and all of a sudden you kind of feel very much on the outside.
2: Oh, yeah, hundred um, percent. You follow that outside. I, I was also I was um, completing my my masters. I was doing a masters in business. I was doing my dissertation for that. So my uh, my hours of social socialising was uh, was at a minimum at that point because I was kind of right at the right at the crux of that. And a, a lot of the foreigners were, hadn't arrived yet either because of international duty. So I didn't really know anyone apart from maybe the. Um, the the rehab SNC and he spoke a little English and uh, Paul Elmsey was there but he's a very busy man with his family and so it was definitely a tough time I was I'm not sure if you guys you know it there's a, a part city which is almost opposite the stadium is where a lot of guys stay when
0: they first arrived it's horrible yeah it's just, it's just like it's like this big block of there's nothing to walk to nothing to do but everyone gets put in there and it's like you're kind of put in prison next to the stadium and you're not sure what you can do can you leave You don't know, but the food ain't great. You just want to get out, and it's not the most social. I know it very well. It was a horrible first couple of weeks for me as well. I ended up there for eight, nine weeks because because the Montpellier was so –
2: it's just a summer place. So all the French coming holiday there. There was nowhere available, and I was – you know by the end of the day, I wasn't being picky, Um, but there was nowhere to be, and so I had to just kind of sit in this box room. It was definitely a tough time. I didn't really know the guys very well. You know, you get to know the guys well by you know, if you don't speak the same language, then you're working hard together. You, you you're blown you blown out your hoop, and yeah, you, you know, you're working with the guy next to you, and that kind of gives you that bond, that initial bond. But I didn't have any of that stuff, so yeah, you're right. It was a it was a tough start.
0: And you mentioned Philippe as well. The initial conversation you've come here broken, obviously laying laying on thick and a bit of pressure. But general terms, what's he like as a bloke as a director of rugby? Because he did turn things around. I mean, Montpellier, the level investment, even when I was there, was absolutely massive. But to win that first championship with what seemed like a fairly straightforward game plan was phenomenal. But Philippe, behind the scenes, what's he like? It's a difficult question. Um, I think he's very much a, a kind of satellite DOL,
2: if you know what I mean. Like he he's, a, he's an off the pitch. I think he's setting structures for the club. He's doing recruitment he he'll run meetings um he'll cast an eye out at training um he'll, he'll leave a lot of that kind of stuff to the coaches um but he kind of brings everything together with his with his meetings I think he's obviously a hugely popular man in in France he's a French legend I think you realize that every, every away game you go you know he stopped by more you know for more photos than the players are and he, he actually just left sale when I arrived you know, back in 2009, 2010. So I heard a lot of stories from, him, from around that time as well. But um, I think it's fair to say he turned the club around and I, I think someone told me it was the first time, you know, a bunch of coaches had re-signed at Montpellier in, <laughs> since, since they got promoted. You know, that's, that's, that's been the turnover in the expectation at the club. So I think he's, he's, done, a, he's done a brilliant job. Yeah, he's sort of a,
1: I suppose in England, it would be a kind of a Dean Richards type figure that right at the top. And then he empowers his coaches to work on the training field, I guess. One of those coaches that I was going to ask you about, you're being coached by Alexandra Ruiz. What's it like being coached by a ref? Yes, I honest. I think last
2: year, <laughs> last year especially, he, um, he came in and brought a new perspective, especially in France, about how to deal with the referees. And he had that relationship with referees, which which really benefited us to make us seem like, you know, we were listening to them and we were reacting to what they wanted rather than it was us against the referees, which I think worked so well that obviously it got copied around. There's a few other clubs that have done the same thing now. And so maybe it doesn't work quite as well. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I think this year he's taken on a bit more of a coaching role, which I think is, you know, a difficult transition from... Being a coach, being a referee, into a coach, so I think he's he's definitely learning. He's definitely learning all the time.
0: And in terms of other guys that are part of the backroom staff, Olivier Azam has left; he's no longer there. Bruce Ray Hanna taking care of the three-quarter line, and Richard Cockrell looks like he's coming in as well this summer. I sent him a WhatsApp to congratulate him; didn't come back to me, so he's rude. Quick um, <laughs> to forget. Yeah, I don't don't bear a grudge. Uh, I won't be coming on the podcast. Uh, but like those guys and the backroom staff, the sort of blend that they have, and and. The personalities, Bruce Ray had a huge reputation as well as a player um from New Zealand, his time Northampton, Bordeaux as well. They loved him in Bordeaux. What's Bruce like as a coach? I think his detail is very good.
2: I think he, he, he definitely he sticks with his role. He is the skills and he's kicking coach. And so he focuses on that. I think he leaves the, the 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 kind of French politics to to other people to deal with. He he is unbelievably fit. You look at him now and you think he probably hey. still play the game. Ripped to he the Chislers. absolutely ripped, and he still joins in non twenty three training. And pretty, pretty sure he gassed me a few times last year. And in, in training, this guy's is mid mid to late forties, and he looks like he's late thirty. So uh, he probably looks younger than me, actually. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he, he's also he's also a top bloke as well. You know, it's good to have him there. He speaks good French from the days at Bordeaux. He's a, he's a regular on the golf course with with a few of us as well. Townsley golfer as well. It's good to have him.
1: And on your teammates, we were chatting about it earlier on, obviously one of your teammates very much in the headlines last weekend, Mohamed Hawass. Another red card against Scotland. What, what's he like kind of off the pitch? Because there's a lot of chat about the fact that he's got those two red cards. Johnny mentioned earlier, the only Frenchman ever to be sent off twice. The only, the only player ever in the Six Nations, I think, to get two red cards. And there is a lot of chat about him. I asked Johnny earlier on whether his Fran's career might be a very typical kind of sensationalist (laughs) journalism thing to ask. But it's interesting behind the scenes, like what he's kind of like. Is he a hothead or is he really kind of quite chilled out off the field? What's he like?
2: He's an interesting character. I think he's had a, um, from what I've heard, he's had a quite tough tough upbringing around Montpellier. And, you know, a lot of his issues have been, you know, in the press and uh, uh, some have been resolved, some are ongoing and the club have helped him. A lot. They understand that they almost have a responsibility to to keep him on track because when he is on track, he, he is a he is a sublime athlete. You know, he's unbelievably talented. I think he, he if he if he really screws his head on right, he, there's no, there's absolutely no way why he shouldn't play for France again. But um, I, I think his moves Clermont probably it's probably wise for him to get out of Montpellier and you know probably have to face some different challenges away from familiar areas and uh and some past problems
1: we've seen that as well like ellis Genj did that obviously i know a different kettle of fish maybe but he was in bristol in that kind of bubble he had his own issues completely different to muhammad but then he moved to leicester all of a sudden eventually gets the captaincy wins the premiership title so careers can be turned
0: around johnny absolutely and interestingly getting away from a bad environment if you've grown up with things that aren't right a change like Get rid, get get away from that crowd, try something different. And that's if a fresh start is what he needs. Because as Henry just mentioned, like he's an incredibly gifted and talented athlete. If it's a mental change and stability he requires, then that's what's required. Mate, another man to ask you about same position as well. Uh all black Carl to Is he making his way back from injury? Because we've been waiting on the impact, colossal player. Started his career in Narbonne as well, I believe, and now worked his way back to Montpellier. Will we be likely to see him in a Montpellier shirt before the end of the season? And how's his road back going?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, big Carl's turned up, and he is an absolute mountain of mountain of a man, and um, absolutely brilliant, brilliant character as well. And one of those guys who's just kind of infectious, unbelievably laid back. I think that when he turned up at the club, they knew they knew he had a bit of a he was recovering from his knee injury, and he just never really seemed to to get right. You know, I don't think he he really knew the answers either, and he was struggling. And but they were keen just to kind of keep him training and hoping that he would get better. And um, more recent kind of scans and stuff showed that there was a his original operation before he arrived wasn't as successful as they hoped, and there was a still a few bits going on in there. So um, he went in, went in a few weeks ago and um, be catching up with him this week, and he's he can immediately he's he's walking he's walking much better, and I think he'll be you know, back towards the end of the season and, you know, from scrimmaging against him, he, he's a loose head. I know he's more of a loose head, but he can play tight head, which is pretty rare these days. He's a scary man to scrimmage against, you know, he's a colossal, colossal man, colossal friendly giant, you know, is, um, he, when he can get moving again, he's he, he's got some silky skills as well. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's hoping for before the end of the season, but, you know, he signed in for three years. So he's, uh, I think there's big impact to, to come from him
1: silky skills massive power and the best tash in world rugby as well
2: oh by far we we, we <laughs> had that um November. we had a little competition Who can wear the the best moustache which was a bit of a fuss really in the end because uh it was already two clear winners um <laughs> marco tallane uh i think went with that with handlebars and, and in his profile pic put on a cowboy hat and went up against me for early doors and uh obviously i was immediately knocked out and then know, Carl was obviously the eventual winner. It's just, it's a thing of beauty really, isn't it?
0: It is. It's colossal. And you just mentioned two massive blokes as well. Marco Tolén who's coming back and getting some game time as well. I wanted to ask just like a general sense. So coming from the Premiership we talk about top 14, the physicality over here all the time. Can you give us a sense of the difference? Have you noticed it? Is there a big gap? Yeah, obviously this gets asked a lot uh, by people, you know,
2: what's the difference between top 14 Premiership and yeah, I would say physicality is one, is one of the biggest ones. It's probably like least affected by the front row because you're used to playing against big blokes and I've never been a, a huge tight end. So I've always had to deal with that that kind of element of things. But it's just the consistent that every team is, is massive and every team has got game multiple game breakers. You know, a lot of Fijians and Samoans and massive French guys who you have to look out for every week. Uh, and that and the and the breakdown is massively contested, which just kind of changes changes the game. Some games can be set piece orientated. Some games can be, you know, kick fest. Some games can be jouer jouer. So it, you know that can, that can be similar in, in in both leagues. But the the size the size of the packs, I think, is just and actually the backs as well. You know, you look around, we've got ben everyone against <laughs> this weekend. You know, it's just like every team you play against, you got they've got a two us over and. You know, the moment we've got um you know Daka who's kind of tearing up trees, and you just think I I, I I'm everyone see him play, I think am thank god he's on my team because I would not want to we would not want to tackle him. And the best names
1: are continuing to gravitate towards the top fourteen for financial reasons mainly, but also a variety of other lifestyle reasons. A certain Stuart Lancaster is going to the top 14 to coach next season, and just touching a little bit on your international career, you obviously played under him quite a bit for England, and then didn't get a look in after the 2014 tour to New Zealand. So was there something that happened there? Uh,
2: No, I mean, um, I went on the New Zealand tour in 2014, which was, you know, brilliant against the All Blacks, and, um, you know, that was definitely a kind of a career, career goal of mine. And then I got back from that, I started at Bath, and I think I had one of my best seasons you know, I was a young player then as well. I was, I was playing and I felt like I was I was learning. And, you know, this is pretty a bit harsh myself. But I didn't feel like I quite deserved to be there yet. I wasn't the player I wanted to be yet. But I had kind of a pathway to it. And um, I had a few injuries in the next season. It was kind of getting back into training squads. And um, I had an operation on my shoulder. And I got back about four games left of the season when Bath got to the final in 2015. And I just missed out on the World Cup squad. Because I hadn't played enough since coming back from injury, and then again, once you know that 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 finished, Eddie Jones came in and uh, brought into the squad, and was really happy the way I was playing at the time. And uh, you know, as you know, he's quite an intimidating character. Um, he came, <laughs> he came in, you know, obviously no one really knew much about him, especially from from England standpoint back when he first came in we had a full day of meetings and we had to you know sign all the jerseys and do all your kit fittings and uh a bit of gym and he was like all right i want I want everyone to come in and you know speak to me one on one I will let you know where you're at let's have a conversation and I was like sweet kind of kind of built myself up for this uh first meeting i I, I went in quite early and maybe third maybe third in there um maybe too keen I don't know uh, um and he said look I see you at the moment second choice and I was thinking that sounds pretty good I'm pretty happy with that um, and he was like I well, want you to work on this this and this I've got a few questions for you and he asked me a question like you know what would your opposition your opposition uh, loose head are you are playing against how would he describe you in three words and I was honestly absolutely absolutely not me and I was thinking do I big myself up here do I do I play it cool? Do I, you know, try and act like a hard man? I actually can't remember what I said in the end. But it was obviously wrong because um, <laughs> ne- next day, before we'd, um, before we'd had a session, they are sending send a lot of guys back to the club and I got sent back, to, sent back to my club and didn't get a look in for another kind of nine months or so. Um, and then that, that's back to the period where I was injury, come back, get into a squad, injury and... You know, I can't, obviously can't uh, push any of that on him. That was my, I couldn't stay fit for long enough. But it was, a, you know, the shame for me really was that when I played for England, I, I definitely wasn't at where I, my, at my best, if you know what I mean. I was growing as a player, uh, hoping to have a long international career. And um, I, I, I never quite got over that last that last hurdle. He clearly liked you though. If, apart from the answer to that question, which must have Man. been horrendous if you didn't get lucky up to that, but <laughs> well, he clearly liked you. I think it was more like you know intimidating. I don't know. It was the question really wasn't what well I expected from a from a new head coach. If I'm honest, but um, no, I had a few other interesting uh, interactions with him. He once called me when I was um, injured. I think I was on hold in Portugal in off season. I think I, ju- I just had another shoulder operation and. He said, look, I'm really sorry. I think you've been playing really well, but we're not going to take you uh, on this squad. And I was, you know, on the on the summer tour, I was thinking, I was like, yeah, I've been injured for the last three months. And he kind of quickly uh, quickly hung the phone up and was like, oh, uh, yeah, I know, yeah, but you're playing well before. Um, all the best, mate. And, you know, put the phone down. Um, a few kind of weird interactions like that, but uh, you're never quite sure whether he's, You think he, I think he's being, I think he's testing people more than you think, you
0: know. I I don't know. His mind games, I think, are probably second to none. I think he talks himself in riddles, and I think he thinks he's smarter than he actually is. He pisses me off watching him. Um, I want you to try and get back to that room and try and think what the three words you came up with were. So go from second choice... To get papped out the door the next day, it must have been absolutely shocking. So try if you can. What were they? And there's a note for all young players out there: don't use these three words that Henry used because that don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out. Amazing!
2: I I skipped out that room thinking (laughs) spot on second choice. I think I think Dan Dan Cole's first choice. You know, he'd been there for a long time. Very good experienced player. I thought, yeah, this is you know, I can build from here. (laughs) And I was, I was gone. I was absolutely gone.
0: Johnny, what what would your opposition number eight? What would what would my opposition man describe me as whilst playing against me? Yes, um, a little light probably <laughs> would be probably lightweight for that position. Would maybe be, that's uh, what he
1: wanted—small,
2: soft. You know, maybe that's what he wanted. Who knows? Maybe he wanted. I don't care. <laughs> you know, I, I I actually thought about this. I thought about this meeting a lot in many years since it's I happened. bet you have. I well, bet you I, have you know, mate. Demons. Should I should I have just said, look, I don't I don't care what he says. You know, maybe I <laughs> should have said that, but you know, I said the wrong thing, obviously. So uh he probably thought I was a little too posh and got me out of there.
0: But stick yourself on the other side. Why would you want to make a player think that he could fuck up something with three words? That's what annoys me. And that he's gonna make a snap judgment, putting some of their pressure, come out with three words and you could either pick them or not. Like no pick them if they're a good rugby player or not. Um and so mate Right, weirdly, on that note, you're only 31. It's been nine years since your last cap. You've seen teammates like Zach Mercer. He'll be heading back across the channel this summer, back to the Prem. Is it something you think about in that that ship had sailed with Eddie? He's now gone. There's a new coach come in. A, has there been any contact? But the international dream, is it still there for you and something you want to pursue? Because you're still a young prop. I think, you know, I'm
2: I'm. I'm not going to sit on here and announce my international retirement Neither am I. Not involved I'm, for a long time. I'm
0: I'm, I'm still available, but yes, yeah. just-
2: <laughs> but well, I um I'm not going to make my decisions for it. I'm interested to see what you know what the next few years has in store. Someone like Matt Stevens obviously went out had a had a little hiatus and then went out to Toulon for a while and then went back to Saracens and and then played a couple of years for England and. Um, Uh, he was older than me he was about my age I think around that time maybe slightly older uh, and and a different player than when he than when he originally played for England so you know it's not the question I'm not something I'm expecting I'm without being cliche I'm just trying to I'm just trying to play well I'm just trying to play well I'm trying to enjoy my my rugby as well without that kind of pressure use that pressure to get myself new new contracts and, and also enjoying enjoying where I'm playing English rugby is a bit of a mess at the moment I think mean, that's probably fair to say there are a lot of problems in the clubs financially and playing in france is a breath of fresh air i love going to these away games honestly i love i love going to these away games uh we've got perping on a few in a few weeks we've got home games weekend which is always great but these away games where you haven't been to we've got Perpignan on a few weeks which i missed last year It's one of the, one of the most hostile places in the top 14 Toulouse about a month ago you come in, DJ, probably six, seven thousand people around the bus when when you arrive. Those experiences are just so unique to to France, and and how much they absolutely love the game of rugby in France. And they're all there for Philippe Saint-André for a selfie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not
0: to see and you, on- boys, mate. It's incredible.
1: And on that. Obviously, you mentioned there you're in your second year. You're not going to make decisions based on any possibility of playing for England again. So therefore, that opens a whole world for you. I don't know if you've sorted where you're playing next season. If you're staying at Montpellier, if you're going somewhere else, but do we need to put the bat signal out for clubs to come and get you? Or
2: oh, put the put the bat signals out? <laughs> it's uh, it's all undecided at the moment. So um, you know that there there are a lot of foreigners at Montpellier, um, and so this year especially i've i've not played as much as i wanted last year i played 25 26 games last season which was which was great with a bit more rotation and stuff And this year it's been um a bit more tricky obviously still a decent amount of season left um so i'm just trying to stay fit play as much as i can and like you said i'm 31 and i'm still you know i'm happy the way i'm playing i'm i'm a bit older probably a bit slower and but that experience up front, you know, counts counts for a lot. I think, and I got plenty more years. Well, I say plenty more years. I got, you know, I got a couple more <laughs> years left in me, five or six. Yeah.
1: It worked out pretty well the last time you did this and backed yourself. You got yourself a decent club, so keep going.
2: Uh, my old teammate Valin Kobolas is uh, is 40, is playing. He's forty this year, and he's uh,
0: and he's still cracking on Bordeaux. So you know, he uh, he gives me hope, like a fine wine. Old Vadim, he's doing really well. Mate, a few guys that are arriving as well, Cowan Dickey, Simmons, rumoured to be Harry Williams as well. How do you reckon they're going to settle in? How do you think they're going to enjoy the top 14? I think all three
2: of them are actually, yeah,
0: quality players. So I think they'll
2: settle in fine. Probably the being the three of them might might make it a little easier to start with. They're big on us being a team at Montpellier and trying to integrate. So they'll have to try and do that a little bit. I'm not sure how much French they know between them but i know all three of them well they're all they're all they're all you know top top blokes so i think they'll go i think they'll go well if i'm honest um you know montpellier can be a bit of a to be a bit up and down with um last year obviously it was brilliant this year we've we've been under a bit of pressure it'll be interesting to see how they they find the transition because it's a lot more than rugby and as i'm as i'm sure you know johnny is it's a lot more than just rugby is your lifestyle out here. So if you can enjoy that and really embed yourself in the um, in the culture, and you can enjoy you can enjoy how hard things are, how hard it is to go to the bank and that kind of stuff. That if you can take that in stride, then you know you have absolutely no problems here. Acclimatizing to life in
1: France when you moved over there, obviously tricky with the injury, but yeah, your your, your time kind of getting used to life in France
2: yeah well i think the they, they were just things seemed backwards when we arrived when i arrived just the way things are done would they weren't they weren't worse but they weren't better they were just very different you know culturally so i was injured so we had these team team building things on saturdays during pre-season you know so well, there's no flying back to england to see friends or whatever it was like you know doing team things. There's one day we, we got given this location. It was about an hour away. So we kind of lift shared out to this place. And it was a, it was a bull, it was a bull farm, a bull ranch, essentially. And, um, it's bigger, Alex, Louise, uh, Ruiz, um, we got to this place and we thought, surely we're not in the right place here. They load us up, load us up on a, um, on a tractor trailer and just tractor through into this field. And we watched about eight, eight blokes and horses round up these bulls for about 20 minutes. Alex Ruiz pops off, jumps on one of the horses, kind of does the same thing. Then we, we, we roll back into this shed. It's about 10.30 in the morning. They hand us all a warm beer, a warm Peroni. And they're like, cheers, let's have a good weekend. <laughs> and then we all left.
0: Randomness. I love it.
2: Yeah, and we went to Corsica on a preseason trip. Have you ever been to Corsica?
0: How good. Mate, that is my dream holiday. Not for a rugby tour, but family, beaches, beautiful. Yeah, I've been there twice now. Everyone everyone's said
2: this to me, I, and uh, I'm not sure I've seen that side of things. <laughs> so we're there on pre camp. We're staying in this family resort place, and you know, it, you know, it's pretty. You know, pre season trips away. You're pretty lucky to get away on one of those pre season trips. And we've had a brutal Monday, Tuesday, you know, like you do in pre season. It's about 35 degrees. Actually, to be honest with you, I was doing recovery on the beach because I was injured, but the lads were working really hard. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it came to the, the, the Wednesday, the, the, the day off. And they're like, oh, we've got this little walk planned. Um, you know, we're going to this waterfall and it's going to be lovely. And Saturday morning rocks up, early start, 8.30 with about an hour and a quarter drive in the bus. And we had an all-day hike up a mountain. Boys are absolutely hanging on. I think Olivia Zam was about to collapse. And bear in mind, you know, this, <laughs> this walk was um, incredible. You know, it was mountains, these views waterfalls we see but boys are off the back of two days tough training a night a night on the piss well, i think we lost we lost three or four of the lads on the way because they fell they fell <laughs> behind and kind of just kind of fell into a bush um we got back about four o'clock and i think about a third of the lads missed training the next day but it was so they were absolutely smashed like it was Rugby players love to complain but um let me tell you, this was a this was this was absolutely this was a tough walk, and um, they acted like it was you know just another just, just a day off recovery walk. Cultural differences, Johnny. <laughs> Cultural differences, mate. I love it. Two interesting times, let me tell you.
0: Mate, it reminds me of like Fabian Galti took us up in Tigno, so took us up to the mountains, but we did like a three-hour hike to the top of one of the hills. But like at that time, some of our players were like one hundred forty-five, one hundred fifty ki- kilos. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You're taking boys from Wallace Islands, New Caledonia, some of the biggest islanders in the world playing pro rugby up a three-hour hike and we broke them. Like, looking back now, it's madness, but then that is part of the wonder of French rugby, the culture change, the shift, the different views on things. I loved it. I loved it, I, I loved it
2: as well. I, I couldn't walk the next day because I was actually injured and I did the whole thing. They told me it was going to be easy. But you're right. I think a big thing is that they, they don't like people complaining. So as a foreigner a new guy you go there and you just kind of do it and embrace the, embrace the weirdness embrace the difference and i don't think if you do that they kind of accept you and the guys they don't accept are the ones that kind of try and make it like like england or like wales you know you know wherever you wherever you're from
0: and you've had a fairly phenomenal career and played for some tremendous clubs you must have come across in that time some tasty characters as well yeah i think a, been pretty lucky i think
2: um with the characters that i play with um i i play with um andy andy powell andy powell moved to sale in 20 i think it was 2012 i think he moved to sale and you know the only i was a young guy at the time so the only thing really i knew of him was you know crazy long blonde hair, big number eight giant's golf buggies on the m4 you know you know all you know those kind of stories that's all i heard of him so he turned up and I had no idea what to expect. And he didn't—he didn't disappoint. I mean, well, the first week he came in, he was pretty quiet. And you know, people say, "Oh, you know, Diamond, Steve Diamond's, Diamonds, Diamond's going to look after him." And you know, they, they, they've kind of calmed him down. And so a few weeks went by. He played—he's pretty quiet. Played kind of well. I thought this guy's this guy's got his head down now. And we went on a um, we went on a trip. I think it was to Breathe, horrible place to go. Ambling Cut back then. I think we lost by three points or something. It was about minus five in the middle of winter. And um anyway, European trip back then as well. You always stayed overnight after. So lads are on a you know complete tear up. It's a big court session. Pretty sure a few lads got pepper sprayed <laughs> on the night out. Back to the hotel. No one was allowed to any clubs because everyone stunk of pepper spray. Back to the hotel. You know there was absolute carnage going on at the hotel. Me and my uh, my roommate walked past the service room, and there's Andy Powell trying to um, push one of those you know those big um, metal grates full of um, laundry, you know maybe about two meters tall on wheels. He was trying to push this thing off a fourth floor uh, balcony uh, <laughs> onto like a mezzanine mezzanine before it would blow. And, yeah, I was like I was that he was absolutely clean off. Yeah, I think he I think he got stopped. I think someone pulled him away before. Uh, before it kind of fell through reception um <laughs> another guy who's a top character is uh oh, Danny Cipriani I mean I'm sure you've heard mm. lots about him and his life and his life never stays stays too far away from you know day mail uh for good of, for good and bad but um there was a certain occasion on uh the Otley Run famous pub crawl for people who don't know don't know about it again he'd come back from the Rebels that year got in quite a lot of trouble in Melbourne, got in trouble kind of with Wasp before, and he came over to you know turn over a new leaf. We had the season, and he didn't really hang out with the team that much. He was, you know, a lovely guy at the club, quite quiet, very opinionated with his rugby. But, um, you know, he made his own friends in Manchester and a bit disappointing because we were quite tight knit group, but it was it was fine. But we went, went on end of year social, he didn't drink beer, so. Um Otley Run is what 24 pubs? And someone drinking Jack Daniels and Coke. Uh he saw a uh, he saw an early decline. And he was on brilliant form, one of the best form I'd ever seen him in the, in that whole, the whole year. And he just started turning turning a corner. We were right down the bottom of the Otley Run by the university. And three of us walking along, he ran behind us. He we whacked one of the boys around the top of the head. Sprinted past, did a kind of a, a, a U turn and kind of into the road facing us, and then whack it. yes, you hit by a bus.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I urge you to just Google Danny Cipriani gets hit by a bus because we were all there in fancy dress. There was kind of different groups. I was part of a group of Impalumpas, there was the kind of Wizard of Oz group, uh, there was Where's Wally, and so, um, the. There was some, somehow there was media there straight away. I, I had to call the ambulance. Our ambulance was there in seconds. He was breathing, he was fine. The bus is completely smashed up. And there's a picture of him, you know, being put on a kind of uh, spinal ball or whatever it was. And then there's there's two um bloompers, the where's Wally and the Wizard <laughs> of Oz all, all, all stood around all stood around him. And then I had to make that dreaded phone call to uh, Steve Diamond. Imagine what he's like. I was thinking I ran him as a like, Look, Dimes, we've 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 messed up and he's he we've was like, Daddy. what the fuck <laughs> have you done? one of the boys has been hit by a bus. Oh fuck you he lost he lost his mind. <laughs> oh. Not just one of the boys, the uh the I had to kind of eke it in that it was the guy who was gonna get the most media attention around it as well. <laughs> and so I kind of held the held the phone about this far away from my head and uh, and kind of <laughs> the crap and said look he's fine he's in the hospital field lads gone with him and you know we all kind of scuttle off to the nearest pub and um you know everyone's a bit down and everyone was like right we just have to crack on really because he's fine and we just got you know we've got to have a good time and then someone we were there with um sammy tutupo and johnny liota so sammy's tongan johnny Samoan, and we were about 20 yards away from where it happened everything kind of cleared off this point. and some. Some stupid academy kid asked uh, one of them, you know, what's better Tonga or Samoa, uh, and you, you can imagine how it goes. And it was it started off, and you know, obviously Tonga, obviously it's Samoa. Until about five minutes later, they were um, they were kind of wrestling and knocking bells into each other on the on the same road. Like Sips got hit by a bus academy guy jumps in to try and split him up catches one on the jaw gets a double, yeah. jaw, double jaw fracture <laughs> oh, man. and yeah that was basically one of the last time we that out into into Leeds. uh brought end of the year social I think things things had to quiet down for a year after that so good but the last people people always ask me you know um because I played with Gavin Henson at um bath and people ask me you know Gav's pretty crazy and it was the year after Fernsie Matt uh, Carl Ferns had uh, punched him in the pub and that was all over the news and he genuinely lovely lovely bloke just gets a bit wild on the um on the source
1: and now he's running a pub isn't he? in wales somewhere in the back of beyond i think kevin handsome yeah,
2: i mean i mean he's got some stories i, I, won't, I won't tell them for him but he did sink about it did sink about the own with Charlotte church in the cardiff cardiff bay which is an interesting one but I won't, I won't tell that for him
1: <laughs> we'll have to get him on johnny yeah. we will And talking about your international career and the possibility of of playing again, then Johnny mentioned Zach Mercer, who obviously is moving back to the premiership and therefore will be able to be considered for the World Cup for England. There's a lot going on in Wales at the moment with them changing the rule about where players can and can't play and still be selected. More broadly, as a man who has now moved to the top 14 and enjoyed life over there and rugby over there, what do you make of the kind of rules because it's different for different countries do you think players should be able to play their club rugby wherever and still be selected or do you think
2: it's different depending on the country we're talking about i do think it's different depending on the country i think i understand england's england's dance seems to make sense you know there's 11 teams now in the premiership and um they want to be able to keep the the product of the premiership as high as possible and you do that by by maintaining as many of your stars as you can and you know you use international rugby as that that key figure to to keep people there Whereas right in wales again them reducing the the, the 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 60 cap rule 25 cap rule makes more sense for them because you know the more welsh internationals you're holding your team the, the more more you're spending on your cap and the more pressure you're putting on 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 the regions it it, it is a tough one i think that if you move to france and you know, you're an international star player, you're going to be earning more money. So, if you stay in England, I mean, pay, pay for England, you earn a lot of money playing for England as well. So, it's almost offsets it anyway, uh, financially anyway. So, personally, I think they should keep it for the Premiership. Other countries have got their own rules, and I don't think that makes sense. But it's basically about keeping talent in in their own league. So, I know the Premiership will want to try and keep their product high. Uh, they got the you know, new deals with the TV and that kind of stuff. And if they keep letting top players leave, then people aren't going to want to watch the Premiership as much.
1: Absolutely. Well, it's brilliant to see you going so well over there and we will keep our eyes peeled for that next contract in the next few months. And maybe, who knows, see you in a white shirt again someday.
2: We'll see.
0: (laughs) Cheers, Henry. Cheers. Bye.
1: Clever guy, Johnny. And good that he feels comfortable enough to back himself because he clearly did that before he went to montpellier and now he's a top 14 winner and he's doing it yep. again we're sat here in march now and he hasn't signed a deal yet for next season but he knows something will come up because he's a in-demand prop
0: well that's it and he's a tight head as well and they're worth their weight in gold so the fact that he's already done it he's made that move over here he's shown that he can play and operate at a really high level in the top 14. I'm sure he'll pick something up now that we've sent the back signal out as well, and all the coaches that are listening, but just broadly, like, really interesting bloke, super smart, articulate, really enjoyed him talking about his way in his England journey, not being the player that he wanted to be and feeling undercooked for it. Like, it's a strange one as well, because these opportunities come up so seldomly. Like, you're never going to be the complete package to so just go for it and say whatever Eddie Jones wants to hear in those three fucking words. Who cares? Um, <laughs> poor guy that must have haunted him but like generally lovely bloke he's playing really well in the top 14 the games that i've worked on is like doing a great job but yeah just another really decent bloke doing a great job in the top 14 so great to have him on with us
1: right we will touch very briefly on the top 14 shortly but let's find out what gets your meter moment of the week first johnny
0: well not that i agreed with them sacking monsieur urios but they're turning a little corner. Six tries at the weekend. They've just got themselves back into the top six. Youngsters, they're absolutely flying. They're playing some decent, attractive and fast rugby. So Bordeaux to metre moment of the weekend. Six tries against Perpignan, which means Perpignan are still in 13th. But Bordeaux flying high back into the top six and potentially getting themselves a playoff spot. Well done to them. And they are this week's metre moment of the weekend. Can't argue with
1: that. That was Johnny's Meter moment of the week. And Meter is the world's number one wireless meat thermometer. Recently, making over 20 million cooks better, the game changing app and completely wireless Bluetooth meat probe. You can use it on a barbecue, in the oven, or in a pan. And you can get your hands on one at Meter.com. Plus, you can get 10% off any full price item. All you have to do is enter the code FrenchPod10 at checkout. That's FrenchPod10. And you get 10% off any full price item at Meter.com. We spoke a bit about Jeremy Davidson taking over at Cast last week, and then it was confirmed after we recorded.
0: Mm-hmm. But his tenure couldn't really have got off to a much worse start, could it, Johnny? They got absolutely spanked. By on, I think it's now 10 from 10 at home. Um yeah. They just announced they've got another sellout. They're taking one game against Poe down San Sebastian Um, for thirty five, thirty six thousand 36,000 tickets sold down there as well. They are absolutely flying, but Cast just a little bit lost. And I'm not sure what they're looking for. If it's a knee-jerk reaction, emotional charge or whatever it is they're needing, but it didn't happen. They got two yellow cards in quick succession at the same time against Bayon. They shipped five tries. They didn't look like they were doing much in attack. So it's a little bit desperate, but that's it. Jeremy Davidson, that was week one. What can you really do in week one? Nothing. He's got a few rounds left to try and A, make sure they avoid relegation and the drop zone properly in the mix with two, three teams there and try and boost their efforts to get back in the top six. So it starts now, you'll be looking at improved performance from then this weekend. Um, And President uh, pierre Ruivrevol, he spoke this week about just the need and why it was done to sort of, I guess, validate what's already been done. Um, But yeah, big job at Cast. A lot of mates still there, still coaching um, and it's not looking good. So he was hoping they can turn it around. Yeah, we did speak about how they
1: overachieved I guess last season and how they often do very well despite the fact that they don't have the biggest budget in the league but they've gone down to 11th now from the top 14 yep. final so is is it I guess it's hard to pinpoint exactly what's gone wrong but what can they do to to bounce back is it just more of fostering that spirit that we've spoken about before when you talk about cast
0: <clears throat> well the spirit, but then it's also just doing the same, the simple things well, keeping 15 people on the field. Um, hmm. I mean, you watch France Scotland at the weekend. It's a very simple thing to say. The nuts and bolts of what they do, finding a game plan. But it's almost as well in this competition, it's quite psychological. And when things don't go well, they compound, and then errors, discipline, and the fundamentals of your game all go, and the emotion comes in, and you start shooting yourself in the foot. So stopping that that is the sort of change that's hoped from a new coach or a freshman and an emotional recharge but then just getting back to your basics things that you've done well they're not going to go and change their game plan entirely um, in two, three weeks um but just a little bit of confidence coming back in two wins and quickly you're away from that relegation zone so back to back wins back to basics um, and keeping your head that's the strange thing of this competition when it goes bad it can go very bad and very quickly i've been there with cast we avoided relegation and here's hoping that's what they can do in the next two three weekends and speaking of hammerings
1: wrestling got thrashed away at leon as well and it's interesting because we've seen very early, it was announced that Gonzalo Casado is leaving Stade Francais at the end of this season and they've kind mm-hmm. of rallied around him and going really well. With wrestling, obviously, we know there's a change at the top with Stuart Lancaster coming in next season. Obviously, we know Finn's off as well. They seem to be kind of, they're up and down a lot, but they seem to be treading water a bit at the moment. Is that fair or do you think when Finn comes back, we might see a bit of a bounce back and and then kind of do something towards the end of the season?
0: Well, Finn's definitely their talisman. So it's difficult when you lose your absolute rock star and your star player. He's the guy that drives everything, drives our systems. He's the guy that creates the X factor as well. So you're missing a big, big player. It's almost as if that loss with other clubs is is felt less because they've got maybe replacements that are of a higher quality. And you got to remember Rassing as well. If you look through their team, they're going through a bit of a transitional phase, um, a bit of a reshape. So it's a big job for Stu Lancaster, for Lanny coming in next season as well. Um, Freddie Michalak has been announced he's coming up from Toulon, he's joining the staff as well, but that's all next season, what can they do this year, having been Champions Cup finalists, top 14 finalists, often recently, to now a sort of mid-table looking team, um, how can they finish, they need to finish strong, um, and you got to remember as well, it's not like their coaching, their staff is changing, but people are moving upstairs, it's not like they're moving out or leaving the business. They're being retained. So it's very different for Rassing, but you're right, they don't quite look settled. And Finn being away and being exceptional with the Scottish side uh, doesn't help. They're looking forward to him having having him back and finishing their season strongly. And on that coaching changes
1: point, there's another interesting one, isn't there? Rumours that Jono Gibbs, having left the top job at Claremont, may be forwards coach at Toulon.
0: And look, he's a guy that, if you if you think back to previous podcast records with Benji Kayser and, and the love that Benji had for him at Clermont as a forwards coach, I, I know all of the guys loved him at Ulster as well, and it didn't quite click for him at Clermont as head coach, but I, I still believe that's because it's the transitional phase that all these clubs are in. It's Gif, it's young people coming through, it's formation, um, but he's still got a very, very good CV. He's still widely respected as a coach. And that's it in France with the, with the blokes that can actually coach and speak language that aren't that many. So Toulon, another club that doesn't look settled either. They're looking for solid foundations and a solid forwards coach. And he certainly would fit the bill. An outstanding coach who's looking to sort of rebound and get another job. Um, and that could be a good coup for, for Toulon. And any whispers about player movement that you've heard as well? There's a few in French media, mate. Ian Henderson from Ulster to Toulouse, apparently his profile... Um, they really enjoy. He's a guy that's been flying high for Ulster and for Ireland for a number of years. The British and Irish lines as well. Um, You know what you're getting with Ian Henderson. Line-out quality, gain line, physicality. He's phenomenal. And then almost um, Reinhard Elstad in the opposite direction. So he's at the end of his contract with Toulouse. Uh, and Ulster looking for a second-row, back-row hybrid. He's more of a back rower, but could fit the bill. Um, the other one that came up in press this week, who a guy has been on the podcast, a friend of the show, Ehiya West. He's only a year into his three years with Toulon, but apparently Ron O'Gara would like to get him back um, to be the sort of complementary 10 and split game time with Antoine Hastoy. So potentially Ehaya moving back to La Rochelle where he's a European Cup winner and did a phenomenal job. So a weird one in that it's after year one of a three-year contract, but look, it's a place that he knows um, was part of the furniture, led things there and was outstanding. So that could be another positive move for him as well and his family
1: thanks johnny a big thanks to henry for joining us and thanks to all you guys for listening make sure you hit subscribe leave us a nice review if you can check us out on rugby pass and on youtube and we'll be back with another episode next week au revoir johnny
0: cheers mate